This week's episode is part two of our Shocktober celebration. It's more frightening than the telltale heart and should be played with caution. Do not drive while listening. We gave the same warning last week, and one of our listeners ignored it, got frightened, and drove off the road and into a cow. That will be very expensive, and the cow was less than thrilled. The show accepts no financial responsibility, but we regret the inconvenience to the car owner, the car, the cow owner, and the cow. This week, we take you back into my teaching career. For years, when I taught in California, we would take the students to a sleepaway camp for several nights. The people who ran it would build us all a campfire every night, and they would make some effort to tell scary stories. They really weren't very scary. I would start a rumor in the beginning of the week that the story you're about to hear is true and tell students not to talk about the ghost because we didn't want to frighten anyone. This, of course, spread the story like wildfire throughout the entire camp. By the time I got around to telling the story, the students were already scared. Now, I can't interrupt this story for a commercial. That would ruin it. So before we begin, please understand that if you're enjoying this show, I could use your support. The music isn't free. The software isn't free. The sound effects aren't free. I also spend at least 60 hours a week on this show. I would love someday to make a living at it. Every bit of support helps. Please check out my Patreon in the show notes and consider becoming a, mem- a member. I speak English, really. I've added coffee mugs and t-shirts. If you don't want to become a monthly supporter, you could make a one-time donation on Venmo. That would be at Fred-Eater on Venmo. The at sign F-R-E-D-E-D-E-R. If you don't have any money, neither do I, so I get it, please share the show with as many people as you can. That helps my numbers. I'm not supposed to care about them, but I do. It's an ego thing. And now, prepared to be scared out of your mind. Come sit down at the campfire with the poor little girl who the other students have been making fun of this week. And prepare yourself for the Golden Arm. Uh, this week, right? All of the stories, uh, 
about the about the ghost and everything and I don't want people to be afraid and the best way that I know to cure fear is to give you the facts and so I am going to be honest with you and I am going to tell you exactly what happened and I have this from like nine different sources so you don't have to worry what I'm going to tell you is true and then you don't have to be scared anymore all right now the first thing you need to know is that yes it is true that the building in which we are sleeping was originally the home of the uh, factory owner and his wife in this story and I don't want that to worry you. It's, it, it is, again, I, when I give you the facts, then you don't have to be scared. Yes, this is their house. But we have remade it now. It's been rebuilt. And now it works very nicely as, as a sleeping quarters for, uh, for our classes. So you're going to relax and everything's okay. The second fact you need to know is that, yes, the graveyard is right on the other side of that hill. It's half three quarters of a mile away. Um, and, you know, if, if you want, then tomorrow morning uh, in the light, I'll be happy to walk you over there. And I will show you her grave. Um, so you don't have to, you know, freak out. It's true. Yeah. So let's not be scared at all. Okay. Now, here is the story. And, uh, I'm going to give you the facts. It takes place uh, in World War II. And in those days, uh, it was the first time that women were actually allowed to work. Prior to this, it, it just wasn't done. Women rarely had jobs. Uh, but now, with all of the men off fighting World War II, women were taking jobs in factories that they never had before. And there was a woman who worked in uh, an airplane factory. She helped to, to uh, create all of the airplanes that were used to win World War II. Roosevelt, as we will talk about uh, in class next week, uh, talked about the 100,000 airplanes, and there's a wonderful story around that. She helped create them, okay? She was one of those people. Now, the problem with her was, like many of you, she didn't care much about rules, you see. And one of the rules was that you had to, you couldn't wear uh, dresses with long sleeves. You know, and for obvious reasons, it was a safety rule, but rules didn't apply to her. And so there she was, you know, one day, working in the factory. And her job was very simple. She would pick up a piece of steel and she would put it onto the conveyor belt and it would go down the conveyor belt and then <coughs> it would get cut in half inside the little uh, chamber there, you see. And that was the job. And so there she is at work one day doing her thing. And uh, she picks up the piece of steel and puts it on the conveyor belt. And she picks up the piece of steel and she puts it on the conveyor belt. And then she feels a little tug on her arm. And that's kind of strange and she tries to pull it away and then she realizes that the sleeve of her dress has gotten caught 
under one of these sheets of steel and she is being dragged down the conveyor belt. And she's trying everything she can to get her arm out and she's getting closer and closer and pulling harder and harder and then suddenly, bam, down comes the blade and it cuts her arm off. I mean, blood spurting everywhere. It was just absolutely disgusting. And she's screaming and carrying on and the factory owner comes running down the stairs and says, oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? What happened? Oh my God. And she says, well, I'm going to sue you for everything you've got. I, you cost me my arm. I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to sue you and take your whole factory. And the guy says, no, 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 you don't have to do that. I, I'll work it out for you, really. I, I'll, I'll get you a new arm. I'll, I'll, I'll get you a golden arm. And the woman looks at him and says, you better. And boom, she passes out. You know, that's how that shit goes. Um, and so the factory owner does this, right? He has commissioned the most beautiful golden arm ever known uh, anywhere. No one has ever created a piece of art like this. It is absolutely beautiful. And after he had it, and he spent a lot of money, but after he had it, he really wanted to keep it. He'd never seen anything so beautiful, but he had to give it to the woman because otherwise, you know, she's going to sue him. And so he does. And he takes it to the hospital and they attach the arm to the woman. And then, oddly enough, man brings her flowers, right? And, and uh, when she starts feeling better, he asks her out. And, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, go bowling, go to movies, do all the things that you did in the 1940s. Uh, and the woman thinks this is strange because he never showed any interest in her before, but whatever, that's great, you know. Um, and finally... The man takes her out to dinner and then right there at the table, he drops down on one knee and he says, you know, I love you more than anything in the world. I've never loved anyone so much as I love you. So please, will you do me the honor of marrying me? Now the woman is not stupid, right? He never showed any interest in her before the arm. But now, all of a sudden, he seems really interested in knowing all about her. And obviously, you know, marrying her. And so, she looks at him carefully and says, I'll marry you. And then she reaches out with that golden arm and gently puts her fingers around his neck. And she says, but only on one condition. Well, what's that, dear? You have to promise that you'll bury me with my golden arm. Oh, yes, dear, no problem. I'll be happy to do it. And she, you know, choked him a little tighter. And then she said, and if you don't, And so they got married. And they were married for 15, 20 years, something like that. And finally, the woman got sick. And the man went upstairs uh, to see her lying on her deathbed. And, you know, he's very sad. 
Oh dear, I'm, I'm so sorry that it doesn't look good. And, and her eyes are closed, you know. And then very slowly she opens them. And she reaches up to her husband with her golden arm. And she grabs him by the neck and she pulls him down and she says, Remember your promise. I promised you, I don't know what you mean. I promised to bury me with my golden arm. Oh, yeah, okay, dear, I, I will. The woman didn't woke up. She, uh, she was gone. And so the man calls the coroner and he calls the, 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 the dudes from the cemetery and the undertaker and all those people. And they have a funeral and he cries and they bury her. And then that night, it was starting to rain a little bit, and the man smiled, and he says, Now, at long last, I can get that golden arm back. And so he gets ready to go, and it's starting to rain just a little harder, but it doesn't bother him. He's been waiting a long time for this, and so he gathers three things that he, that he decides to take with him. He gets a shovel, he gets a burlap sack, and he gets an axe. And now, he goes to the graveyard, and he gets to the gate, and he opens it very slowly. And of course, just as he's stepping in, lightning strikes, hits a tree trunk right next to him. The branch tumbles down, misses him by an inch, and he ducks out of the way, and undaunted, he carries on. He goes into the graveyard and walks slowly to her grave. The wind is beginning to howl now. The rain has fallen faster. Now, he puts down the axe and drops the burlap sack and he sticks the shovel into the ground. He begins to dig and dig and dig until finally his shovel hits something hard. He dusts it off as he jumps into the open grave. There it is. 
the woman casket. He opens it. Very slowly. And he sees the woman lying there dead. Her eyes are shut. But they look as though they might just open at any moment. But of course they don't. And now the man smiles. Finally, finally, he says, I can get back my golden arm. And he steps out of the grave, tosses away the shovel, and picks up the axe. He lifts the axe high over his head and then slams down against the arm, severing it completely. There is still blood in her body that begins to fill the casket. And he takes the golden arm, leaps out of the grave as quickly as he can, and as lightning begins to strike and The rain intensifies and the wind howls. He grabs everything he needs. He puts the burlap sack out and sticks the golden arm into it. He grabs the shovel and he runs as fast as he can back home. He gets home and he goes upstairs. He takes the burlap sack opens it and takes out the golden arm. He looks at it lovingly and there's still just a little blood dripping from it. He lifts his mattress and hides the golden arm underneath it. Then he tosses his shovel and his burlap sack gets in bed to go to sleep. In a few minutes, he hears something far, far away. It's not really recognizable. It's just a distant sound like But he can't really understand what he heard and was it just the wind? He pulls the covers up just a little tighter. And now, as he's drifting back to sleep, he hears the sound again. Closer this time. Maybe just down the road, he hears relax. But now he hears it again. 
just outside his door. And now he really does get scared as he hears his front door open and he hears the steps as something is climbing his stairs. Now he begins to shiver and he thinks, no, no, it's all right. I have everything that I need. But now outside in the hall, he can hear her heavy breathing. takes the covers down from his head. And the last thing he ever hears before the axe comes down on his neck is... If you got it!
take a breath. I'll give you just a second to wind down. I recorded the thing, and it even scared me. Now, just a quick epilogue to the story. The most fun I ever had telling it came about because one of the most challenging students I ever had brought it about. I'm going to call him Wilbur because in my entire career, I don't, ever, I don't think I ever taught a student by that name. Wilbur was the most creative mischief maker I have ever encountered. He would bring candy to class, pass it out, and set up a room full of kids amped up on sugar. Any teacher will tell you that is less than an ideal situation. So I banned candy, but he would sneak it in. It got to the point that I would check his backpack every morning. I finally thought I had handled it, but a day or so later, there were enough candy wrappers on the floor and flying through the air to fill four dumpsters and drive the custodian insane. I couldn't figure it out for the life of me how he got that candy into class. Well, I noticed Wilbur was reading a hardbound copy of the Fellowship of the Ring one day, and I was really impressed. He was a sixth grader. Way to go, kid. I asked him how he felt about Frodo. He was confused about who that was, and I picked up his book to show him. It fell open, and like three pounds of candy spilled onto the floor. He had hollowed it out and filled it with Tootsie Rolls. This was the level of sneakiness on which Wilbur operated. You have to admire his creativity and his tenacity. Well, the night I told the story, I was staying with the boys and another teacher, who shall remain nameless because she didn't really like me, was staying with the girls, all of whom were at least as frightened as you were a minute or two ago. And I admit to being a true asshole in this case, but it was too good a chance to pass up. I told Wilbur, it would be awesome if somehow someone went outside late at night, went to the windows, uh, to the window on the girl's side and said, Where's my golden arm? And he just nodded. There was a look in his eyes, though. All right, fast forward. It's 2 a.m. I have long since forgotten that I had said anything to him and I'm deep asleep. When a chorus of 30 screams went up from the girl's side and the lights over there snapped on, my colleague, who didn't like me very much anyway, came running to our side to yell at me for letting that happen. And there was Wilbur, tucked in his sleeping bag, convincingly unconscious. The boy either grew up to be a CEO or a career criminal. I hope someday to find out. To this day, I have never figured out how he pulled it off. And no, he never admitted doing it. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the scare. We're working on something entirely original for next week, and I have to admit, it's tough going. None of us works in this genre much, and I am unsure of my ability to write the story we need. I'll keep at it. If I can't handle it, I'll find something else for week three of Shocktober. Before we're finished, I want to thank everyone who supports the show. The list of the supporters is as follows. 
Coralie Day was Scott Knight and Edith Keeler. Joe March, Kevin Boyce, Zeref, and Utopia 42. Sherlock, the mystery patron, I was sorry to see you leave. I hope you're well and will rejoin us sometime in the future. Laura Engram, Linda M. Crotta, Elizabeth Bennett, the Mindwave podcast, to which you should listen often, Michelle Freeman, Scott Shelby, Virginia Rupert, and Jesse Rogers. Corey, Christopher Hitchens' friend, Natalie Fredrickson, Chuck Curry, Mark Rosma, Christine L. Patterson, and David Miller. Jereen Elkins, Lori Shea, Cindy Mandel, Corey, again, Zara, Michael J. Clark, Stacy Height, Piper K. Young, Carrie Dedeo, and Daniel H. I'm truly grateful to each and every one of you. To everyone else, I really need your help, folks. I would be deeply, deeply, I can speak English, really. I would be deeply grateful if you could join this elite group. For as little as $5 a month, you'll make a significant difference in my life. I hope we'll see you on the front porch again next week. There are more than 50 past episodes to hear, so pick one and catch up if you're new. The earliest episodes aren't of the same quality that you hear now, just to warn you. They're good, but I hadn't learned as much yet, and I didn't have a starship until a couple of months ago. For now, here on the front porch, we'll continue as a small, growing, and hopeful community, changing one idea in one mind at a time, and scaring the hell out of people. I love you folks.